Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. And there's a really exciting and new release from Chess.com that I've enjoyed using. It's called Classroom. This feature allows you to easily go over a game live with a friend or a club member that you just played. And you can do so interactively on the board with both of you on video talking to each other. It's also a great way to have a lesson between a student and a coach. And you can check that out on chess.com slash classroom. Welcome to this week's episode. The feedback from my Adult Improver episodes has been off the charts positive, so I will try to do more of those going forward, including today's guest. Her name is Stacia Pugh, and like many of us dream to do, she is now dedicating a majority of her life to chess. Stacia is a full-time chess coach, and she spends most of her free time working on her own chess improvement. She fell in love with the game about eight years ago and since then has reached an impressive 1800 USCF rating in OTB Classical. I think Stacia is a fantastic role model for adult improvers, both because of her passion for the game and her dedicated approach to studying and playing. This interview is packed with improvement advice and stories. We cover areas like her dramatic shift from playing D4 to E4 and why that matters for club players. Stacia also offers her top eight lessons learned in the past eight years. And of course, I throw in my now traditional chess genie question at the end. Here's my chat with Stacia. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Stacia. How are you today? Hey, I'm quite good. Thanks for asking. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm excited to have you on the show. I have, uh, like um, some of my guests who've been on, I've uh, interacted with you and seen your stuff on Twitter, uh, all, all, all your chess posts on Twitter. So I have a little familiarity with you already going into this, but I'm excited to you know have a full conversation and learn about your chess story. So Because uh, I know we've been connected for a while, so now we finally get to you know, not just Twitter connect, but actual like real life connect. <laughs> real life outside of Twitter. Who would guess? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that's a thing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's begin uh, at the beginning for you. So um, you have a, a little bit of a different chess story than most people I talk to, which I appreciate in that I, I don't think you have um, your journey begin as a kid, but rather you first just learned the rules of the game as as an adult in college, uh, and then some years later uh, actually uh, got serious about it. And without Queen's Gambit uh, show inspiration, which is cool too. Um, <laughs> uh, so can you talk, talk a bit about how uh, all that unfolded for you? Yeah, I mean, so basically, I think I remember like learning how the pieces move. Like, I remember a chessboard like when I was little and playing some family members, but I think it probably only lasted like, I don't know, probably a few days or something like that. But I remember I really enjoyed the game and then suddenly no one wanted to play, you know, and so that kind of died there. And then in college, yeah, I got to actually get more into it. But again, I had no clue what an opening was. I didn't know what a tactic was. I was just playing friends, figuring things out. And um, 
and then everyone stopped playing. Like, and that was it. And I was completely oblivious that there was any such thing as a chess tournament, a chess community, a grandmaster. All of those things were just completely, you know, somewhere out there. I'd never heard of any of it, which is so sad, right? <laughs> but then... So, it's understandable. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, you know, my, my appetite was like, uh, I, I don't know how, I don't know the right description, descriptive word, like wetened or <laughs> is that a word? Um, but my appetite for chess was strong and then I just was left wanting. And then like, you know, a long time later when I was 35, finally, like something random happened. I was just simply at work and um, one of my colleagues was like, hey, do you play chess? Because I have this app on my phone co- called Chess with Friends, and we can play on there. I'm like, oh, chess. Like, it was <laughs> like, you know, something lit up in my brain as soon as the word was said. And so, you know, I downloaded the app and I started playing him. And then, like, shortly thereafter, I, you know, just clicked in my head. I'm like, wow, you know, chess. I love chess. I never had anyone to play. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's on YouTube, you know? And, and then, you know, and then I did that search and it was all over from there. It ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Probably made my life better, but it did kind of destroy the path I was on. <laughs> yeah. I, I use like a slightly less or maybe slightly more gentle word. I use consumed. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily better or different than <laughs> necessarily, but uh, yeah, consumed is, is how I think of it, right? But I think uh, I think a lot of people listening can relate to uh, to that getting bit by the chess bug and then it just uh, kind of taking on a life of its own in your life. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you got excited about it with you know like colleagues at work. How long after that before you got? like serious about it in terms of, you know, tournaments and, and study plans and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I think it was like June when that happened and like very quickly I found YouTube and then joined chess.com. Like, I think that happened like very quickly and there was no Queens Gambit or anything. Like you said, it was sort of <laughs> random <laughs> how it happened. But then, um, so I was watching chess openings and stuff. And I mean, I'd never heard of an opening. So I, I'm still intrigued with chess openings. I love them. Probably like a lot of adults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love them. I don't know why. <laughs> Do they help me? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it, it can try. It's, I feel like it, we try to bring. Oh, I, I'll speak for myself anyway. Try to bring some order to the chaos like uh, of chess. Like it gives you like, it's like a little cheat sheet or something. Like I, I won't know 35 or the 40 moves, but I can know the first five. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the other reason I think we like openings is that sometimes like when you study openings, you got these like very strategic, like nuances in the opening that you're learning. And I feel like, oh, I'm so smart. I'm so big brain, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> but then I play a chess game. It's like, oh, I hung a pawn. Oops. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And then that bubble gets know. burst quickly. Yeah. Reality sets in, but, um, but yeah, I forget what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, let's see how like your your chess journey unfolded once you you know you got excited about um, oh, you know, right. with colleagues, and then I guess my question was how long after that you started you know becoming serious about your approach to it. Yeah, so I think it was like in June of that year, which I think was eight years ago now. Um, so it must have been 2015. Um, in June. I joined chess.com. I started at about 900 and I started playing rapid games on there. And I think it was in October that it finally 
was, it finally clicked in my brain, like, Hey, like, wouldn't it be nice to see if there's an actual like real life tournament? You know, I didn't call it OTB because I didn't know that yet, but I was just like, you know, I bet there's an actual chess club like here in Cleveland, Ohio. Like, wouldn't that be something? So I found one called Parma Chess Club. But then it's like, you know, I knew no no one in chess. I mean, my my friend at work, like he played on his phone. That was it. You know, that was it for him. <laughs> so I had to just gather up my courage and just say, look, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to show up at Parma Chess Club. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even play. I'm just going to be an observer. I'm just going to show up and say, hi, I'm Stacia. I like chess <laughs> you know, and see what, what happens because I had no clue what would happen. And um, so that's exactly what I did. And um, to my surprise, I, I was very warmly welcomed um, by someone named Mitchell, who actually became a good friend of mine later. Um, and and then I learned that they did something called rated chess. So they, they actually do quads at Parma Chess Club, you know, like G30, delay five, like you play three rated games. So I sat out that time because I didn't even know what it was. But the very next week I came back and I played my first rated chess game over the board. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I actually think like I somehow like got a victory against a 1400 that day. And then I think I lost to two 1900s. I'm not sure. Like, That's solid, like, though. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crazy. But um, so so it just kind of went from there. So I got my my USCF idea, my membership, and and it was Parma Chess Club every week. I could hardly wait until it was Tuesday night and time to go back to Parma Chess Club. So that's that's kind of how I got hooked into the the tournament scene, I guess you would say. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think, uh, I mean, just one thing that strikes me about your your story there is that, I don't know, at least relative to some people, some courage to do all that, to just say, I'm going to go find a club, I'm going to go by myself and check it out, and then I'm going to just start playing tournaments. I've heard just several, you know, adults talk about, and understandably, their their nervousness with going to a club, you know, meeting a bunch of people in a, in a you know, like in a game where you kind of feel somewhat new to it, you don't know um, the culture or even the game itself that well yet. And then just to go for the tournament too. That, that's another thing a lot of adults hesitate on is going to a rated tournament, but it didn't sound like you were, you know, too nervous about any of that stuff or, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was extremely nervous, but I just forced myself to do it because the excitement of it kind of like, overcame the nervousness part of it and like and of course when I got there it was it was like all guys like I think there was maybe one woman there maybe and I don't think she was playing so like it was it was definitely um you know I call myself though sort of an adrenaline junkie like I, I thrive on that I, I love the excitement of it like the um the the unknown you know I'm diving into some waters I've never been in and I just don't know what's going to happen. And I get to find out. I'm a very curious person. So um, I recommend that for anyone. If you can fight through the nervousness and actually do it, um, you'll be amazed at the connections that you'll make and the opportunities that will spring up as a result. So so I've learned that earlier in life. So then like when it came to this, I was like, this is absolutely the right choice. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's great advice too for, for people who haven't taken the plunge yet. Do you remember what your what your feelings were 
after your first OTB tournament? Did you did you love it? Were you still unsure whether you wanted to do a lot more? Well, if you mean just Parma Chess Club, or do you mean like a slow time control? Ah, uh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess because you did rated games there, right? I mean, it was. Um, I guess I should say that it's more of a just rated games, right? That you were doing there as opposed to like yeah, something you would yeah, call it a was tournament. Rated. I would okay. call it rated games because like it's $5 entry and $12 to first. So it's not exactly high stakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was your first OTB tournament that you would, you know, like just like a, like a weekend event kind of OTB tournament? Yeah, this, this part of the story, I think maybe hopefully some other adults out there are going to relate to this because it was not a good experience. It was pretty awful, honestly. Um, so I got to 1500 and I thought I'm a beast at chess. This is great. You know, cause I was, I was like a 1100 when I started out and I got to 1500 and I'm like, Ooh, slow time control. I'll, you know, and people are telling me, Oh yeah, slow time control is different. You know, you're going to have trouble. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just good at this, you know, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, it turns out they were right. I mean, I went to the the Columbus Open. It was a two-hour drive. And I went with my sort of chess coach slash buddy at the time, who was like a 1900, who was helping me improve and got me to 1500. Very first game I play an unrated player. And, you know, and I'm just, I saw that he was unrated and I kind of just like smirked immediately, you know? <laughs> We all do this, I think. I mean, it's just like, but it's a mistake. And um, and sure enough, he finds a tactic on like move nine and crushes me. And that was it. <laughs> so I lose to an unrated uh, the very first game. And, and I was thinking a long time on every move too. Like I was really analyzing the positions. I just didn't know enough, I guess. So I play round two. I'm like, well, that's fine. So I play like a, like a 1300 next. And we have a really good fight and I lose. And then I play another guy and I lose. And I just, I just like totally tanked the entire tournament. I think, I think I played my fourth game and lost again and then withdrew from the tournament. So, uh, so yeah, not exactly, not exactly an inspiring start to slow time control chess. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think I, Oh yeah. I almost forgot to mention that the very next tournament, I have to throw this in because, you know, of course I played an eight year old Asian girl. And um, again, I smirked when she came to the board. And as, as you can tell, I mean, this is, this is an all too common story. She crushed me. <laughs> <laughs> she crushed me. She was 1200 when I was 1500 and she crushed me. And um, so my introduction to slow time control chess was brutal. Let's call it brutal. <laughs> So your first OTB tournament, the weekend event like that, you, it sounds like you said that you played four rounds, withdrew, and you withdrew early, I think, because you lost all four at that point, right? Yeah, it was just, it was just devastating. I mean, I couldn't look at a chessboard for like at least a week. Like mm. I was very distraught about the whole thing. It's like, I thought I was good. I thought I was improving. What happened? Do you remember what allowed you to kind of get past that? thinking about your first tournament or kind of shake it off and, and move on to the next one? Yeah, sort of. I mean, the the first thing I knew would be part of it was just waiting a week. I knew I did not want to look at a chessboard. I knew I wasn't going to quit chess forever. I kind of felt like it. 
But, you know, I knew that that would not be what's going to happen. So the important thing was to wait it out, distract myself with other things in the meantime, just let time heal, heal the wounds and let it sink in that maybe I'm not really a 1500, you know, and that's okay. Cause I can still get there, you know, and, and then just go back to Parma and just, and just go, go from there. Use that experience as something to learn from, because, you know, a lot of times when you think you're good at something, you're maybe not. And that's, that's just the way life is. But when that happens, I think, you know, even though it hurts your ego a bit, it's good to take like sort of a curious outlook at that and be like, well, huh, why was I not 1500? What is it that I'm missing? Why did that result happen? You know, so I started asking questions and my coach started helping me figure that out. And um, honestly, I just, it became my life's mission to like get better at slow time control chess. That's actually what happened. <laughs> mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I'm not playing real chess. That's what people are telling me. And I want to play real chess. So that became my life's mission. That first year where you were you know, dedicated to improving yourself at chess, do you remember how you started your routines? I mean, what did it look like initially in terms of how much time you were putting into it, whether you had a coach or not, um, and you know, where you got your, your guidance for how to improve? Yeah, it's interesting to think back to those days because um, at that time I had a full time, you know, job in like real estate development with a nonprofit. So that was a pretty demanding job. Um, and I did have a chess coach, but he was sort of a buddy. He didn't charge me, um, but we just kind of met up every now and then and went over some things. But he was 1900, which was a great level for me to learn from. And he was just a good teacher in general. His name was Jim Antoline, by the way. Um, and uh, we're still good friends and he still coaches me to this day. Um, so I think I just studied after work sometimes. I mean, that's basically the gist of it. I played Parma on Tuesdays. I studied sometimes. And I think I started going to Lakewood Chess Club, which was like a casual meetup type thing um, on Thursdays. So Tuesday and Thursday were chess nights. But I was often exhausted and, um, yeah, and just working full time. So it was not a uh, ideal situation, but I realized that's the way it is for most people, right? Right, like, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a common story. That's something just kind of all have to figure out for people who are going to, you know, uh, which is the vast majority, you know, work full time while doing chess improvement. Yeah. Um, and, I'm sorry, and just for, well, and just to throw in real quick for your, for any listeners that are in this situation, um, you know, I did manage to get from like 1100 to, I want to say 1600 in that format. Hmm. So That's there's impressive. a lot of hope, you know, that was a lot of improvement. Yeah. And, and about uh, approximately how long did that going from 1100 to you say 1600, I think you said, right? Yeah. I want to say probably four years or so, four years. Sounds right. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's I mean, that's a solid pace, right? I mean, averaging 125 points a year, um, I, I would be very happy with that as like an ongoing <laughs> improvement rate. <laughs> um, so when you look back in that first year of being, you know, a serious student of the game, what's one thing you would have done differently in how you approached improvement based on what you know now? In that stage of my life? Yeah, you could say the first year or two of... I think nothing. Yeah. I think it was great. 
okay. I mean, I, I guess the only thing I would maybe, well, okay, well, this is going to bridge into the, the next state, the next chapter of what happens, but. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Um, I was coming up with my own openings. I chose D4. I chose a Catalan, mostly from YouTube videos I'd watched, like uh, Josh Whiteskin. I was really into his videos. They were really cool. So he he talked about the Catalan like it was this amazing thing, and I had to play it, you know? Um, so I did, and it served me well, by the way. Um, I studied on my own with the engine, with the opening book, and it served me quite well. Um, but what happened next uh, cha- would change my mind. So I, I wish I would have started like a true beginner, played e4, you know, let my opponent play e5, play knight f3, knight c6, bishop c4, like play the Italian game. I think that would have gotten me uh, to where I am now faster. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I know that's something uh, you said was worth honing in on. And it is interesting, an interesting part of your journey um, that you shared with me before we, we did this interview. You know, you started as a D4 player and then along the way, your coach encouraged you to switch to E4. So can you first just explain like why he wanted you to make that change and what that experience was like? Yeah, this is a very, this is, <laughs> I'm remembering it and remembering how I felt. I was like very disturbed um, because <laughs> like here I am. Uh, so this is what happened. I was playing the Catalan and I would describe my chess style as, you know, positional, solid and scared. I think I <laughs> said that to you before. <laughs> yeah, I love it though. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, I would not take any risk whatsoever. I would avoid tactics. I would just stay as solid as possible and like slowly like improve my position and like not blunder. If I if I could, I would not blunder. So that that was it. And that's how I played chess. And, and the Catalan's good for that. And uh, especially if you play it like I did, like I, I would protect the pawn on C4, like or be able to get it back. I would never even let it, let it go. <laughs> Sacrifice a pawn. Like, no, um, are you kidding? Yeah. So, so I did that and I got all the way up to 70, 1791 USCF um, with my coach Jim Antoline and my scared style. I got there and okay. It was probably a little bit lucky because I think two of my opponents like blundered pieces uh, the, the tournament that I reached that rating. So that's not going to happen every day. Um, but so then I go to my next coach and he's like, yeah, he's like, you might be rated 1791, but you don't understand the open game at all. Like you're, you really have no foundation in chess. And that's what he said to me. This is mm. national master. Michael Jolson said this to me. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? I'm 1791. Right. Uh, yeah. So my first idea, I mean, my first inclination is to push back on that, that accusation. So I ignored it. All right. And then um, he mentions it again, the next game. And then we analyze some more and some more. And he, he keeps mentioning it every time. And I want to say that, you know, about a month in, I started considering what he was saying. Seriously. <laughs> I took that long. <laughs> okay. And then, and then, and then after that, I'm like, you know, the principle of if you have a chess coach and you're not listening to them, then what are you doing? Kicked in. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm, let's pretend that he's right. 
let's just pretend he's right for a second. What does this look like? I have to give up my three years of studying the Catalan and give up all the opening theory I've learned and, and all the middle game positions I understand and just trust him and go into these completely new waters that are like totally against how I play chess. But maybe, maybe that's good though, because I don't understand that kind of chess, you know? So I, I, I knew that I didn't understand it, but I didn't know how much, <laughs> you know? So, right. so yeah, so, so it took, I want to say it took three full months after he first said it to me. And then I fi- and then I, I set a date and I'm like, I'm done with D4. I'm playing one E4. And, um, here's something, here's a mistake. I think a lot of adults make, um, they'll be like, I'm going to do this. I just need to study it first. Right. <laughs> right. Like I'm going to play one E four. I just need to study it. I just need to study this line and that line and this line and learn these traps. And then I'll play it in a real tournament. Honestly, I think that's the wrong approach. And I'll tell you why it sounds great. It sounds great on paper. Those people will never, ever make the actual switch. I, I've actually met people that do that for like an entire year and then just give up <laughs> on it. Like, no, you have to jump in the water. There's no better teacher than losing a chess game. You know, you lose a chess game and you're not going to forget how you lost it. So, so I sacrificed my rating. That was the first sacrifice I ever made. <laughs> many to That's come. good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, how, mu- how much of your rating did you sacrifice? Uh, all of it. I was at 1791, <laughs> which means my floor is 1500. So, so I will now to describe to you the next three months. I dropped to 1500 <laughs> there. And, and then I sat on my floor for two or three months. Like this is a very painful part of my chess journey, but you know, the, but the, the logical part of my brain kicked in, you know, the actual like a impartial part of my brain kicked in and said, you know what? You were never 1700 because you don't know how to play chess. And when you play one E4, you're actually a, a 1300. I mean, and I think that when I look back at it now, I think that was absolutely true. That was absolutely true. Like you give me the Catalan, you give me a middle game. I know I was 1700. You give me anything else at all. And I was terrible, right? I didn't understand the open game. I didn't understand basic tactics in the opening. I didn't understand a lot of things. In adapting to E4, I mean, it had to be more than just becoming familiar with the positions. I'm thinking like, did you have to spend extra time on your tactics or some other area of the game? Or was it, was it, was it just becoming familiar with the positions? You know what it was mainly is that um, when you play E4, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of amazing. There's such a huge difference between these two moves, right? Like D4 and E4, huge difference because there's a lot of gambits in, in E4 that you can sacrifice pawns. You can pin down the E file. Like all of those themes were completely, um, foreign to me, especially attacks on F2 and F7, which to me is just beginner stuff now, right? Like, but I didn't know it at the time and I was 1700, you know? Um, so like, yeah, I, I had to like navigate all that stuff and well, I should include what my coach included in this whole thing. There's a caveat. I had to play some gambits. They wanted me to play like all gambits. 
(laughs) (laughs) Why? Their theory was you need to learn how to play the open game. You need to understand the value of a pawn versus the value of initiative and the, the value of development. And I was like, okay, I think I understand that. No, I did not. I can tell you now in hindsight, I did not understand that. Not the way I do now. Not the way I do now at all. So so this was a very painful part of my journey, but a very critical part of my journey too. I see. And how long did it take you to finally feel as comfortable playing E4 as you were with D4? (laughs) Uh, I would say... Um, okay, probably two years for one E4. And then on, and then on E4, E5, I would give it three years. Yeah, it wow. took that long. Wow. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's much harder than playing D4. D4, you can kind of play like developing moves and get away with it without analyzing anything. I feel like in E4 positions and E4, E5 positions, um, yeah, you're not going to get away with that stuff as easily, right? There's too many gambits. There's too much craziness. You have to actually right. know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so I think in terms, like, I was so confident with my Catalan. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> do you still miss it? Yes. <laughs> I think I do. Um, yeah, but you know what? But I hardly ever play D4 because I think I prefer the E4 stuff more. Hmm. Like my my favorite, most comfortable opening now is the Smith Moore Gambit. I absolutely love it. I have a huge plus score with it, and I just, yeah, it's it's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, as like a lesson for people listening to that, would you say that you'd recommend club players and beginners to just start with E four instead of D four for learning purposes? Absolutely. I I would absolutely um, recommend that. I think E4 is like, to me, you can't appropriately play D4 until you know E4. That that is how I feel now in hindsight. Mm. And um, because back in the day when I would play D4, if the position was to open up early and my opponent would go for some tactics or go for some play, um, I would just lose those games. I just lose those games. It's just, it didn't happen that much because my opponents weren't strong enough to do that to me either, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But, you know, my, my coaches framed it well. They said, look, you're, you play pretty good chess with your D4 Catalan. They're like, but you're going to hit, you're going to hit a wall at like 1800 or maybe 1900, maybe if you're lucky 1900, and then you're never going to progress from there. And it would just be a wall forever unless you do what we're telling you to do. And I think that really did, you know, sink in and and make me think like, okay, maybe I need to actually do this because they're not, they're not masters and international masters for nothing. (laughs) So obviously they have some good advice for me here. (laughs) Right. So let's talk a bit about your goals right now. You know, it's been uh, about eight years, if I'm not mistaken, right? Since you... Was it eight years? I think I saw yeah. that you rewrote that about eight years since when you first, um, yeah, when you first got serious about chess. So you currently have the goal of becoming a national master. Let's first talk about this is going to go into the bucket of like long term goals. And I want to talk about some shorter term stuff for you. But in terms of long term goals, you're aiming for national master. So what about earning the national master title appeals to you? Okay, well, I work full time in chess now. So like, 
obviously it'll just benefit me in like, like in my professional sense and just in every way really. And, and it just means something to me myself. Like I want it for myself. I want to prove that I can do it. I'm 44 years old now. That's kind of old. I mean, it's getting there at least. And, um, you know, I want to prove that I can do that. So that's one thing I want to prove to myself, not anyone else. Sure. Um, secondly, though, I think my students would be extremely excited and I care about my students a great deal. Um, so I want, I want them to believe in me. I want them to be excited. Of course, they'll probably get it before me, but still, <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, lastly, I just, uh, I just love chess, so I might as well have a goal. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. No, I think that last part is a really interesting element of, of the reasons that, that you're going for it. Just something that pulls us forward, something appealing, something exciting that pulls us forward. Um, I don't know. I just think it, it gives the, the whole journey some more purpose and uh, buzz to it. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Although I give it more, it's more of a guilty pleasure thought for me. Like, <laughs> It's like, it's like, I just spent like four hours studying like some chess openings and doing tactics. Like, so if I, if I were to call my mother and tell her what I just did, we would be like, don't you have laundry to do? Don't you have yard work to do? You know, what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh yeah, I do. Oops. <laughs> you know, like, it, 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 but then if I throw on, oh, yeah, but this is my training to become a national master. So it's like a guilty, like, justification. <laughs> right? Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, Your yeah. Your know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But it's real. I do want to be a national master very badly. It's not, I'm not making it up. Like, no, yeah, no, I believe you. And and I think, uh, I think you have great chances of it, too. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about like short term goals for yourself right now. Uh, remind me again, what uh, what your current rating is? Yeah, so my my live rating is 1701. But I recently reached a new peak rating of 1801. Um, so that was a huge thing. That was a huge thing. The 1800 barrier was sitting in front of my face for for a good two years. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, when you look ahead, say to the next 12 months or so, what are you working towards? Uh, definitely. I want 1900 by the end of the year. It's totally doable. Totally doable for sure. Um, and then probably 2000 next year. And I mean, okay, I'll, I'll get more ambitious if things go my way. Um, but I, I do find that if you set goals, they should be attainable especially when you go for when you're at 1791 and you crash to 1500 because of your <laughs> test coach's advice <laughs> and then you spend the next 2 years just getting back to 1700 i mean it you know you start to realize that you you've got to set goals that that are close enough that if you fall backwards it doesn't feel completely undoable so you know i had to i originally said i was going to become an im Okay, that's not happening. But I understand that. That is, that's just the way chess is. I mean, it, it it would actually be an unjust world if someone like me could, at the age of thirty five, start playing chess and get the IM title. Right? That's an unjust world. Um, there's people that spend their whole lives playing chess and don't get the IM title, 
And the ones that, that do like, congrats, you know, like it takes a lot of hard work. I think that title is mostly out of reach. I say mostly because, you know, I'm an optimist. If I reach NM, I'll go for IM. Why not? Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but, um, well, you have to tell your mom why you're working so much on chess at that point. Too, right. right. I, have to, I have to tell my mom who, you know, she's watching out for my well being. So I have to listen to what she says like 20%. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so so I'm start. I, I like to set incremental goals. So yes, I want national master. That sounds like an amazing goal that's driving me. But what I to get there, 1900 by the end of the year would be would be fantastic. I would I would be quite happy with that. So that is the goal, and I'm playing a lot of tournaments. So. Yeah, you are. Um, that was something that, that stood out to me when we talked before this. Um, yeah, could you share about what's your tournament schedule per month or so? Yeah, it's getting very, very vigorous. Um, so I've got the Cherry Blossom uh, tournament that is coming up in D.C. That is next weekend. Not this weekend, but the next weekend. Then I've got the Cleveland Open in June. I've got the Joe Young Memorial in July, probably the Pittsburgh Open in July, then the Ohio Chess Congress in August, definitely Kings Island Open in November. These are all slow time control tournaments. This does not include Parma on Tuesdays. Got to stay true to Parma, right? They were there in the beginning. Right. <laughs> and I'm their treasurer now as well, somehow. Somehow they trusted me with their money. Bad decision. <laughs> yeah, but um, so, so yeah, I have a lot of chess coming up and um, my students are coming to a lot of these too. So it's a, like this weird mix of like coaching them, but also playing, fighting for my own rating. So it should be pretty, pretty exciting. I think. Hmm. So what are some of the key areas that you're working on right now? Uh, in your game to get to those, those next steps that you talked about. Yeah. So, you know, I have to, I have to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm someone that loves to make, I have a master's in planning. (laughs) (laughs) I love to make plans. These like increasingly like descriptive and complicated plans that are like, you know, fine tuned for specific strengths to build and specific weaknesses and whatever. Um, you know, with chess, I find that, um, especially for adults. So listen up if you're an adult, um, pretty much everyone listening is an adult. So (laughs) here's my advice. Tactics, tactics, tactics. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. Adults feel like tactics are below them. I know because I feel that way a lot of the time. They are not. They are not at all. You better be on your tactics, especially the easy ones. If you're like, Stacia, you can put any simple tactic in front of my face and I'll solve it in five seconds. You know what I would say to that? Not good enough. You got to send you, you, you have to solve it in half a second. That's how you get good at chess. And I know this from working with these strong kids because that is what they do. And that is how they get so good so fast. So as adults, we cannot underestimate the importance of tactics. It is absolutely, it's way more critical than I ever thought it was. Way more critical. If I could go back in time, like you were saying before, I would just not do any opening study. I would just do nothing but tactics. And I bet you I would be like 200 points higher rated. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a USF expert. <laughs> <laughs> 
interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean also that that's a big part of what you're working on right now still is tactics? Yes, tactics. Yep, tactics are the biggest thing for sure. I work on my openings too, but openings are a guilty pleasure for me because I don't think that openings are the way to go for my level at all. I think that um I think that what what has happened all too often is I memorize a bunch of opening lines and ooh yeah, I got a quick win because I memorized it. Okay, that's not real chess. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, that's not right. real chess. I memorize something, I trick my opponent with by knowing something they didn't. That's not exactly brilliant. Okay, so so those wins are okay, fine, they're wins. Who cares? It's kind of like empty, empty yeah. calories version of yep. chess. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. I think calculation and tactics are the way to go. You've got to be lightning fast on your simple tactics because guess what? When you're calculating long lines, you better see those simple tactics and you better see them instantly. Because if you don't, your entire calculation is wrong. I don't care if you spend 20 minutes on it. Right. Right. If you right. miss that, it's wrong. So, so that is like, to me, the foundation of being a good chess player. And, and after that, I mean, you can do some strategy. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my, here's my theory on strategy. And this is, this is from working with kids mostly, I think. Um, like I can outplay the kids strategically, like no problem. They don't know any strategy. They're terrible, you know? So I get a huge advantage, you know, computer says I'm plus two, I'm plus three. That's great. But guess what? I miss one tactic and they checkmate me. They find a mate in four. I didn't see. Well, game over, you know? So what would you rather have like an advantage or would you rather just win? <laughs> right. It's all about so, winning. So, so like, I, so this has been a very, it sounds so obvious, right? But it, this has been a very painful lesson for me is that tactics are super important because tactics dictate like actual results. Like, like tactics wipe out any strategy, you know, who cares? And a lot of kids play this way. I don't know if you've played any like 1900 kids lately. No, not at that level. No. <laughs> yeah. If you play some 1900 kids, guess what they do? They play the worst opening you've ever seen. They, they play second best moves in the middle game. And then they find some crazy tactic and they win. Like that, that is how they beat you. So they so make like, you feel like you have an advantage in the beginning, right? You get all excited and you're like, oh, yeah. this person's oh, terrible. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. This was, I'm like, this kid's 1900. Are you kidding me? How did you not see I'm going to play this move and get a plus two advantage? Yeah, but guess what? My plus two advantage doesn't last very long when he checkmates me, right? So <laughs> or he wins my knight, like, or <laughs> something. Like, they're so sharp on tactics that as soon as you miss one single tactic, they're on it. They take it. That's how, that's how they get to 1900. They wait until they're like 2100 to study openings. So like as an adult, I was studying openings at, at, at you know, 1100. That was pretty useless, wasn't it? Because guess what? I don't even play D4 anymore. <laughs> that's number one. But number two these small incremental advantages I get, these nuanced moves I make in the opening, what does that matter when I hang meat in three? You know, like you, you can't hang meat in three. You just can't. That loses. <laughs> That's what chess is. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. So I actually have a, a list of my top eight lessons 
that I've learned from this whole experience, if you want to get to that at some point. Yeah, I think we've kind of, this is a nice segue because we're already now on the topic of of key lessons that you've learned. I don't know if one of those eight is tactics, um, but if it isn't, then you have nine for us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, it's number one, of course. (laughs) Nice, nice, yeah. Yeah, so you want me to share this list? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, let's go for it. My, My top eight lessons... Um, improving at chess as an adult over the last eight years and this crazy experience I've been through. Number one is tactics are way more important than you think. That is my rule number one. Because I thought they were important, but I did not realize how much. Now I'm regretting not just drilling tactics the last like eight years. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I did some, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. If I'm going to get to 2000, I have to do tons of tactics. And that is what I will do, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how it works out, right? Excellent. Um, Excellent. If I break 2000, can I come back on your podcast? Yes. Instant invitation. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little secret. That's not so secret since we're recording this, but, but you can come back on the podcast regardless later. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. But, but but I'm not coming back unless I break 2000. That puts pressure on both of us. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So there we go. Okay. So that's rule number one, tactics, tactics, tactics. If you, if you close out the podcast now, that's fine. Just remember tactics. Okay, but but then you'll miss out on these other ones that are good. <laughs> All right, so number two, don't underestimate the power of initiative. Mm. Why am I saying this? Because I did not understand how anyone could sacrifice a pawn before 1e4 and playing Smith Moore Gambit and Evans Gambit and all these different gambits I play. Yeah, I got to I got back I got to 1800 playing gambits, like nothing but gambits. So um, that's what my coach wanted, and I did it. I love that. That just sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah, so Cause... now I sacrifice every move because why not? <laughs> sure. As long as I get some initiative. Right. Um, okay, I'm half joking, but I did play a game where I sacrificed seven times. I'm just going to throw that out there. I won Whoa. that game. Okay, I'm going to want to see that game later. Physical game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but don't underestimate the power of initiative, especially if you are not – if you are not – a 1500 player yet, I guarantee you that you underestimate initiative. Look at the game, Bobby Fisher versus Dr. Fine, Dr. Ruben Fine. That game illustrates initiative like no other. That is the perfect game. I show all my students, check that out. That will show you the power of initiative. Okay, number three, um, time management matters. Now this one sounds funny because everyone knows that. Do you know that? Um, I know it in my head, but when I play a game, it seems like I forget that. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a believer, yes, but I, I somehow uh, I cannot make the connection to uh, to my to my actual pace of play yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I actually respect that a lot, though, because I mean, so I'm a bit of a chess purist, and I I kind of suspect that you might be too, yes. and that means that. I want to find actual good moves. I, I'm not going to play some pots or move just because I'm low in time or mm-hmm. because I want my opponent's clock to tick down. I'm going to find a good move or the best move. And um, my coaches encouraged this behavior over the last three years or so. And they said, 
I would tell them, I'd be like, well, hey, I can't calculate this fast, you know, like I can't find the best move. I'm going to lose on time. I'm playing rapid games. And they said, eh, just lose on time, Stacia. That's okay. Just lose on time. You'll learn something. Okay. So I did that. I did that for three years. But unfortunately for me, I have this nagging habit that where I just fall into trances and keep calculating when I'm in time pressure. So I don't recommend that for adults. I really don't. I regret it in a, in a way. Right. But it makes you better at chess. So it's a double-edged thing. So right. everyone has, will have to decide for themselves. But, but time management does matter. That is my, my number three. I, di- I didn't think it did. It, it matters a lot, especially for results. Okay. Number four, chess coaching styles wi- wildly vary. They wildly vary. Okay, I've had coaches tell me play D4, play King's Indian defense, play hyper-modern chess, and I've had coaches tell me sacrifice everything because that's what you need to learn. Like, they say, like, if you see a sacrifice and you can't refute it, play it. Okay, that those are my coaches, probably on the extreme. They're right, though. If you play a sacrifice because you don't see the refutation and then your opponent makes one move and refutes it, guess what? You're not going to forget that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm an idiot. (laughs) And then you never, ever forget that. So that defense remains in your mind. Now now your sacrifices going forward from there are more more sound. Yeah, so that's true. But yeah, so I do think that choosing the right chess coach is important. I do think so. And and I don't know if anybody will find this... um, bad or good or what, but I actually think it's good to switch coaches from now and then. Hmm, I think so because the styles are so varying. If you have a coach in one style, I would encourage you to work with a coach in another style because it's going to open up your mind and you're going to understand chess as a whole better. So that's my thought on that one. How about like maybe like in the initial stages of when you're finding a coach, trying out a few you know, with different styles, as you suggested, and kind of seeing what works best for you. Is yeah. it so? Is it about that? Is it about seeing what works best for you, or is it about just gaining different perspectives? Well, I think you you need to commit to something for a, a substantial amount of time because if you don't, you won't understand the first point, right? So it's got to be at least six months to a year with one coach. But then, if you work with another coach on the side, even that might be extremely beneficial. Or if you switch coaches entirely, I actually think that would be very beneficial as well. So, but you won't get the main point of how they think unless you work with them for a substantial amount of time. You know, like if you hear the coach, that's a sack upon and you're like, Oh, this coach is crazy. And then you go the next one, then you did not learn anything. You made a huge mistake, you know? So so you got to stick with stick with them for a little bit, like one year, <laughs> you know, thousands of dollars of chess lessons later. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it's a good investment if you really want to improve. Okay. Okay. Right. Sorry. I'm taking so long. No, no, no. It's okay. That's all right. Um, all right. Number five is teaching. So I'm a chess teacher. So this might apply only to chess teachers, but teaching can hurt your chess, but, and I put dot, dot, dot there. Um, 
I, I spent a lot of time teaching kids who are learning how the pieces move and they don't know what stalemate is. So I show them, I think that kind of chess actually will derail your arm progress. And I actually think it will hurt you to some extent, not, not a huge amount, but some. And, um, so I actually recommend to anyone that is an adult improver and has a student, make sure that your student is a strong student, like not as strong as you, obviously, because then you wouldn't teach them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're almost there. Number seven, if you don't play, you lose. Okay. There's some controversy around this. I know, but you must play tournaments. There's too many adults, in my opinion, that go, oh, I'm going to play this tournament, but I just started this new opening repertoire and I need to tweak out some lines. I need to learn this. I need to do my chessable. I need to do more stuff. Okay. If if you go down that road, you will never play. Just don't do that. Just go play. Go play and lose all your games. I don't care if you lose all your games. You have to go out there and play. If you want to win a tournament, guess what step one is? Play the tournament. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. It's really obvious to me. Like I'm actually pretty hard on Magnus Carlsen. Because I'm like, if you want to be world champion, you know what you have to do? You have to play the world championship. <laughs> that's, that's step number one. You have to show up. It's not that hard. You just show up. If you can show up, you are on the way to chess improvement. I really believe in that. All the kids, if you watch the top kids, guess what they do? They play so many tournaments. They play million tournaments. Their parents force them. They're not allowed to say, I'm too scared. Their parents say, I don't care if you're scared, play. (laughs) Well, I'm saying that to you guys now, and I say to myself every day. I'll be like, I'm scared to play that tournament. The next thought in my head is, well, then you should play it. So I'm going to play. I'm playing the Cherry Blossom Open coming up. I'm not ready for that at all. But I'm going to go play, and guess what? I'm going to tear it up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or I'm going to try. You know, it's. I think, Stacia, your your advice there is relevant even for someone like me right now. Even though I've played a lot of tournaments and I generally don't have a fear of going to them, uh, you may have saw at least just my tweet uh, or my post about my latest episode where you know, yeah, yeah, I've had setbacks and I don't feel as sharp as I used to be uh, lately in chess, and it makes me, you know, it makes me reluctant to want to go to a tournament and get killed because you know or at least do worse than i would have otherwise because you know i have to get back into the rhythm of things but i think to what you're saying is you know the only way to get back into the rhythm is to go back to tournaments again even if you know there's that temporary uh hit that you take on your rating yeah yeah exactly like what i would say to you which is something i say to myself often by the way is just that you know it's like it's like, yeah, your your rating is one number, but your actual chest strength is a different number. And it's sort of hidden away. And like when you don't play a tournament, you you actually prevent yourself from getting like, like especially slow time control. You're preventing yourself from getting like 20 hours calculation training. Yeah. Like why would you do that to yourself? Right. Like your chest strength will obviously go up. Your rating might go down. Yes, it might. but who cares about that? Because, because your rating is like a temporary number, but your chest strength is like what you're becoming. So I would definitely encourage you to play and, and I would encourage you to sit to, if you lose all your games, it's fine. The goal is to get that 20 hours of calculation training over the 
Excellent mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it'll just be better for it for having gone. You know? Yeah. And I, I watch these kids. I mean, they're forced into it, but guess what happens next? Their ratings go up. Like, <laughs> like right. they lose a tournament horribly. And then the next thing that happens is they gain, like they lost a hundred and then they gain 300. It's like, you know, I mean, it's happened with me too. I, I absolutely believe in it. Absolutely. So that's why I'm going to play the cherry blossom open. I don't care. <laughs> I'm out of form, I don't care. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, all right. So if you don't play, you lose. And number eight, well, I think I already said this, but number eight is learn from the kids. Learn from the kids. I I do think that I, I have a little bit of a bias for the younger players, but I think it's uh, to be noted because there, there are some very experienced, strong grandmasters that are in their 60s or 70s even. And of course, their advice is really good. How could it not be? Um, but I would not discount what the young kids are saying either. Like if, if you know, if you have a local kid that is rated 2200, uh, you should, you should respect their opinion. Absolutely. If you even have a kid that's on the rise, they're 1600, but they were like 1100, like six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Kids have that magic in their brain. They have that like (laughs) ability to soak up information, but ask them what they did because I love their simple answers. I just love it. You ask any kid that's like rapidly rising, you ask them what, what you do to get better chess. You know what they say? Oh, well, play lots of tournaments and, you know, you should do tactics on chess.com or Lee chess. That's basically what they say. I think that is honestly like as silly as that sounds. I think that's the core of how you get better chess. I do believe it. I absolutely believe it. And as adults, I think we want, chess is such an incredibly complex, amazing, intriguing game. We feel like there must be more to it than that. But, but I, and I think that's true. I think that is true. But I think that without that foundation of tactics, I think it's useless. So if you want all your strategy, all your strategic training to mean something, you better train your tactics. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So learn from the kids. Uh, you know, do lots of tactics and play lots of tournaments. That's what they do. Awesome. Well, that's an, that's a fantastic list. Uh, Stacia, I really like it a lot. And I mean, that comes out of eight years of, um, you know, blood, sweat and tears of working on your chest. So, uh, it's all great advice and I really respect it. So thank you for sharing all that. Um, so yeah, I just want to shift to talking a little bit about your coaching business, which is really cool that you've made chess you know, your life completely, both free time and, and work time combined. Um, so yeah, can you just share a bit about your, your coaching business? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting decision to make, of course, but I I think it's working out great. Um, so I, I left my actual career doing, I mean, I had a master's degree in planning design development. I left my related job and went into half professional cornhole, half chess. Then a year later, I was like, cornhole's stupid. I'm just throwing a bag at a hole. So like, <laughs> I don't think I want to do that anymore. So then I went to just chess, which I actually respect so much. You can probably tell. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah. And, and so now I, I was working for Progress with Chess, which is our local 
organization that does just an amazing job at um, promoting chess in the area and teaching kids. But I left them last fall and now I've got my own business, which I'm calling Chess is Best um, with Stacia Melinda. <laughs> and I have a website, chessisbest.com. Hope you don't mind the plug. No, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to have links for it too on the show notes. So it's all good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so I teach mostly kids, but I'm actually starting up a um, at least one, maybe two adult classes uh, in the afternoons. So be on the lookout for those. Registration will open soon where we do some true chess training. So of course there will be a tactics class. But in addition to that, there will be a guess the move uh, strategy class, which is like, you know, we go over a grandmaster game, but it's, we're not just looking at a game. You have to guess the move and I score you against the other participants. Um, so it, it provides incentive to see how well you can score. The kids love it. I'm going to see if adults like it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. It's all an experiment. Um, but it should be a lot of fun. It'll be very affordable, of course. And because uh, yeah, I just love chess anyway. What's the rating range that, that you know someone would be good for for that class? Ooh, uh, excellent question. I would say if you're rated between like 500 and like 1,200, um, these classes would be perfect for you. That's kind of where where I'm aiming. That's the sweet spot. Excellent. And if they wanted to sign up for that, um, is it going to be, we'll link to sign up, be on your website? Yep. Let's go to chessisbest.com and you'll see them. They'll be right on the front page. So yeah. Excellent. Perfect. So uh, Stacia, this has been a great conversation. I've loved all of your insights and wisdom and um, <laughs> just, uh, you know, just, just your obvious um, passion and joy for the game too. It's just, it's just great to hear it. Um, so I just wanted to wrap up the interview, which is two kind of fun questions for lack of a better phrase. It's just kind of how I bucket them. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one is chess related. One is not. So the first one that's not chess related <laughs> is, so what do you love to do when you're not doing something that's connected to chess? Uh, I guess my answer is, what are you talking about? <laughs> that is the right answer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just won 500 points. Yes. Chess. <laughs> I've been playing some Minecraft. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, like creative mode. It's just sort of relaxing. I build whatever I want to build, but then I quickly like start turning tactics afterwards. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to, I'm going to, I may need to start coming up with a different question for my guests. You are the second one so far to answer it that way. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Not doing chess? Well, I don't know what that expression means. <laughs> right. Okay. So this one might be a little bit easier than to answer. Uh, it may sound a bit silly if you've heard me ask this on any of my uh, podcasts. I've started doing this as a, as a question sometimes. Um, but let's pretend there is a chess genie and this chess genie can grant you one chess wish. What would you ask for? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Okay, I don't want to ask too little, so let my brain think for one second. Sure, take Several a moment. Because sure. I'm 44. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I would only ask for the genie to moderately, like maybe not slightly, but moderately my b boost my ability to soak in the information. Mm. Okay. That's it. Cause everything else I'm happy with. Um, 
So, so I think I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. To speed up my learning rate a little bit. Like when I do a when I see a checkmating pattern, have it stick like twice as well. And that's it. That's it. Otherwise I'm happy where I'm at. I I enjoy the journey of this. I think if you just if I ask for the t- the national master title and it gives it to me, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Like I almost had to preempt uh I put a qualifier when I asked this question of Omar Mills when he was on the show. He was the first guest that I asked that question of. And I just know he's always just like dreamed of being world champion. So I was like, let's let's leave that out because that's too easy. <laughs> so yeah, it'd be a very empty, like it would be a very empty empty accomplishment, right? Yeah, that's true. Like if it was just given to you, it wouldn't it wouldn't mean half as much as it could have. Yeah. You'd be like, I'm world champion and I have all the skills, but you know, I didn't do it. The genie did. So yeah, right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, I like how you kind of combined that. Like you got a little boost, but you're still working for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe, maybe. Oh wait, I take it back. I'll just have the genie like subtract 10 years from my age. That's ah, it. ah, well, it's not yeah. my age, but my actual, like, you know, my body's age. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't, uh, I mean, one might argue that it's the same effect, right? Like, that's the idea, isn't it? I think. Yeah, or, you got a good point. Yeah. But, uh. Um, yeah, I, I might even pass on the genie. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy, but yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, that, that's a fair point because it's, it's, um, it's all the work that we put into it that makes it so special when we accomplish whatever we accomplish, right? Yeah, it becomes more meaningless. The more help you get, the more meaningless it is. So. Right. Well, yeah, it doesn't have to be for chess improvement, though, necessarily, right? It could be anything like, uh, I don't know, play your, you know, play the world champ, an opportunity to play the world champ or something, right? Yeah, Uh, I would switch to something like that. But I guess I already used it up. No, that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In any case, uh, yeah, it was it was so good chatting with you, Stacia. I really appreciate you being on the show. It was so much fun. Say you're welcome back, whether you hit 2000 or not. I don't have rating requirements for being on the show, but uh, <laughs> definitely please come back if you do hit 2000. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, it is a real honor for me to to be here. So, and I really love your podcast. You, you just do an amazing job. So thank you so much. And yeah, I hope to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being on the show and we'll connect again soon. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of my business, Adult Chess Academy. And that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.